the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Lift Up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. We are here every weekday at this time to share the good news of Jesus and to lift up His name to this city. No matter if you are listening right now from your car or at home or in your place of work, we believe that today's sermon from Pastor Dudley will be a blessing to everyone. So if you can, get out your Bibles and let's join Pastor Dudley right now with his message. I want to pick up where we were last week in verse 4, Joshua 6 verse 4. Have seven priests carry drums or trumpets? Trumpets. Elk horns, moose horns, or ram horns? Ram horns. In front or behind the ark? On the seventh day, march around the city how many times? I love this next question. With the priests blowing their nose or blowing their trumpets? Blowing the trumpets. And then verse 5, when you hear them sound a long blast, have all the people give a loud shout. Ooh, kind of like that. And the wall will collapse, and the people will go up every man straight in. Everybody say, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. All right, verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, he called. Everybody say called. I don't, it doesn't say he texted or emailed. It says that he called the priest. And here's what he gathered all the priests. He said, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets out in front of it. Verse 7, he ordered the people advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Point number one, write this down. The ark of a covenant is a game changer. Now we had some guys in the church, uh, Gary Norris and his team, they made a replica. This is not the actual ark of the covenant, I just want you to know. And uh, that's not gold, it's actually spray paint, all right? So don't, don't rush the stage. But uh, isn't that beautiful? Uh, this, this, um, in any battle, any game, any competition, any skirmish, there's one event, one moment, there's one piece of equipment that becomes what we know as a game changer. Well, in our seven-day journey of being victorious, the game-changer was the Ark of the Covenant. It's simply, uh, we made this after, it's de- as it's described in the Bible, uh, it's, uh, it's a wood box that was covered with gold. It is four feet in length. Uh, it is approximately two and a half feet wide and two and a half feet high. It's mentioned in the Old Testament some 200 times under 22 different names or variations. The text we just read, it was referred to as the Ark of the Lord. Sometimes it's just called the Ark. 
Sometimes it's called uh, the Ark of the Testimony. Sometimes it's called the Ark of Jehovah. But most often it is referred to as the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I took a piece of paper and took the letters ARK as an acronym, and I came up with three things that you need to know about the Ark. Number one, the letter A stands for the articles inside. Inside this box, God said to put some things in here. Now, you can imagine you're out carrying this thing around. People are going to naturally ask what's inside. And so I'm going to take the cover off here. Inside are three things. They are all three what we will call an unfriendly or an uncomfortable reminder. For example, you have a jar that has manna, and and the instructions were very clear that inside the Ark of the Covenant, uh, God said, I want to have a jar of manna. And you remember Israel, they had been down uh, in Egypt uh, for 400 years. They were delivered. They should have gone right into the promised land in a couple of weeks. But instead, they had to spend 40 years in the desert wandering around. And why did they have to spend that time in the desert? Because of their sin. And what was their number one sin really? Complaining. All right? God doesn't like complainers, all right? And what happens when complainers get in the desert? They complain. So, what are we going to eat? It's hot out here. What are we going to drink? There's no food. And so, uh, God provided manna every morning. The Bible says, it says this, that it came from above. Just God's power provided supernaturally food. You would think they would be grateful but it wasn't too long they started to complain about the matter. Oh, we've got to eat this every day. I mean, they complained even after he gave them the food. And so I know it looks like, oh, there's, there's man. It's a reminder of how God provided. And that is partially true. God did provide. And so he wanted them to remember that he had provided. But for them, it was, it was kind of an unfriendly reminder that, hey, we're in the desert because we were complaining. And we had to eat that. I mean, you think, oh, that's great manna. Yeah, they had to eat it for 40 years. So it's like, man, if we complain, we might have to go back to eating that every day. Okay, you understand that? Wait, what if, he, if, we, if we keep this up, we might have to go back and uh, suffer some more. The second thing in here uh, was, was what's called Aaron's rod, which is just a stick or a staff. And Aaron is the, uh, there were 12 tribes, and the high priest was supposed to come from the tribe of Levi, the Levites. Uh, that's where the priest all came from. And God had selected a man named Aaron to be the high priest, the priest over all the other priests. And again, same thing, an unfriendly reminder because all the tribes started to complain and they were grumbling, they were jealous. And you're like, well, how come Aaron gets to be the high priest? How come the high priest doesn't come from the tribe of Benjamin or, or the tribe of Judah? How come it's got to be, how come it's got to be Levi, the Levites? And so... God was so sick of their complaining, he said, uh, all right, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want every tribe, there's 12, every tribe bring one stick, just one stick from every tribe. Now, a stick is just a dead stick, and put it in front of the, uh, the Ark of the Testimony and go to bed. So they all went to bed. The next morning when they woke up, Aaron's rod 
had blossomed. Out of a dead stick came blooms and uh, almonds, okay? All 12 tribes go, oh, God is choosing Aaron. Okay, okay. But here's the verse. The Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in front of the Ark of the Testimony to be kept, to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. He's calling the people complaining and who are jealous of Aaron, rebellious, keep the staff of Aaron to be kept as a sign to the rebellious, and this will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. So, hey, what's in there? What's in there? What's in there? Oh, listen, there's a jar of manna, and there's also this, this stick that, has, that bloomed, and uh, we better not complain anymore about the Levites or Aaron being the high priest because if the, we could all die, so no grumbling, no grumbling. And so it was an uncomfortable reminder, and of course, the third thing were the, were the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, and even this if you think about it, Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. He'd only been gone a few days when he came down. The people were already living rebellious lives and committing acts of evil and sin. And so the original Ten Commandments, he threw them down, remember? And they broke on the rocks. And then Moses had to go back up on a mountain a second time to get the second copy. And so inside the Ark of the Covenant was the second copy of the Ten Commandments. And even this was kind of an uncomfortable reminder that, hey, don't forget, there should have been the originals, but it's the second copy because we, we were rebelling. So it was a reminder for all of the Israelites. And those are the three things that God wanted inside uh, the Ark of the Covenant. So give those guys a hand who made all that. Will you do that for me? Now, the letter R... You should figure this out. This represents God. It represented God to them. The presence of God. So much. Notice what Moses said in Numbers chapter 10. I want to show this to you. See, as they moved around the desert, they would break camp and they would travel around and they'd set up camp. And it says that whenever the ark set out, they started to move the ark. Moses would say these words, almost as though it is the Lord, as you pick it up and begin to move it. He would say, rise up, O Lord, and may your enemies be scattered, and may your foes flee before you. And whenever it came to rest, he would say, return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. This box, this Ark of the Covenant not only moved before the nation of Israel, when they ever set up the tabernacle or they built the temple, this was kept inside the Holy of Holies. This was the holiest piece of furniture in the entire temple. The only person that could go inside the Holy of Holies was the high priest, and he could only go in once a year. And up on top are two angels. If you can see, they're two angels and they're bowing down. And this is not a lid. It looks like a lid, but it's not a lid. This is called the mercy seat. This is the mercy seat. According to the Bible, God's presence resided upon the mercy seat between the two angels. Here's the text. I want you to see the text. There above the cover, 
between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, God says, I will meet with you and I will give you all my commands for the Israelites. The letter K, write this down, is the kiss of death for anyone who would even touch it or disrespect it. It was so holy. And there's two stories in your Bible. And uh, I gave you the text. You can look up later. One is the Philistines. Uh, you, you, you've seen the, the movie, The uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they're trying to find the, the, the ark. Well, in, in the Old Testament, the Philistines actually found it and, and took it. And the, all the Philistines, they broke out in tumors. They had it for just a few months, and then, guess what they did? They said, you can have it back. You can have it back. We don't want it. We don't want it. And then, of course, you have the story of 2 Samuel. And this is really important for you to understand, uh, and, and I don't have time to go into the story, but in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, Uzzah, uh, it started to fall. Yeah, as the guys carried it out, it started to tip, and one guy reached out and actually touched it, and God struck him dead like that, okay? And, and there's a lot of issues about that story that s- some people have, but the point is that inside are the articles, but this ark uh, of the covenant represented to them the literal presence of God, so much that if you disrespected it, it would cost you your life. Now, my question to you, and I have several, is how many of you know that having God's presence in any situation would be considered a game changer? I mean, if that is God's presence, and you, you had possession of it, that that would be a game changer. There's a story in the Bible about the Ark of the Covenant when they came up against the Jordan River to get into the Promised Land, that it was that flood stage. And they said, well, how are we going to get across the rivers at flood stage? And Joshua told the priest, carry the Ark of Covenant down into the river. And they well, we don't want to go down there. It's a flood. You never cross a river at flood stage. And Joshua said, get the Ark and get down into that river. And the Bible says, as they carried the Ark of the Covenant, it says that when the feet of the priest got into the water, that the water dammed up upstream. And the entire nation of Israel, some two million Jews, walked across the River Jordan and got inside uh, the Promised Land. And then the Bible says this, look at this verse in chapter 4, verse 18, the priest came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. So if you've got God's presence, it's a game changer. Everyone say game changer. Now, the whole story here, walls fall down. We want you to imagine that you're in the line walking around the walls of Jericho. And right in front of you, as you're walking, is your Uncle Bob. Everyone say, hello, Uncle Bob. I mean, they, they were, some of them are related, and, and, and it's Uncle Bob. Right in front of Uncle Bob is your neighbor, your next-door neighbor. His name is Jeff. Right in front of Jeff is your barber, if you have a barber. His name is Randy. So you, you're in the line. You're in the line. There's your Uncle Bob. There's your neighbor, Jeff. There's uh, your barber, Randy. And, and who's, who's, that in front of, who's that in front of Randy? It's God. Because the Ark of the Covenant was actually in the line. 
Do you see, do you see you walking in the ark? You look around the, you see, you look ahead and there, there you see it. Can you kind of see it in your mind? Raise your hand if you can see it in your mind's eye. Now here's my question. How, how did the ark of the covenant get in the line? How did it get there? You say, well, Joshua, Joshua told us, no, 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 no. It wasn't Joshua, it wasn't Joshua's decision. It was God's decision. If you look at, and this is point number two, it was at God's request. God told Joshua in chapter 6, verse 2 and verse 4, God was the one who told Joshua, Joshua, make sure that you put me, the Ark of the Covenant, put me in the line. It wasn't Joshua's decision. It wasn't the soldier's decision. It wasn't Israel's decision. Why was the Ark of the Covenant in the line? Because God said, put me in that line. And why is God in the line? Write this down. Because he wants to be front and center. God always wants to be front and center. You see, the real battle, the real battle is not the battle of Jericho. Don't get confused. God had already promised that they were going to be victorious. The real battle is were they going to put God in the line? Would God's presence be welcome? Would God's laws be welcome? Would God's provision be welcome? Would God's sovereignty be welcome? You see, I think God, uh, he knew, and I, I want you to write this down, he knew that our natural tendency would be to forget him. If we get inside here and we conquer this city, we did this on our own, we no longer need God, we can do anything ourselves. So God says, God says to them, you're not taking one lap, you're not taking one step, you're not putting one foot, you're not getting one toe inside the promised land unless I'm front and center. Are you with me? I want you to just quickly, in Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the Ten Commandments, how many of you know the story of the Ten Commandments? Now we're going backwards here a little bit. But the first verse says, God spoke all these words. But before he gives any of the commandments, before he gives any of them, he says this in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You see, he was afraid that they were going to forget him, correct? And so he says, before he gives in the commandments, he goes, I just want you to know, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that brought you out of slavery. Then he gives commandment number one, verse three. And commandment number one is, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, he wants to be front and center. And I tell you this again, I I, I told you this a couple months ago. I think our problem is, we're just like Israel. We start to think that the whole world revolves around us, right? It started when you're a baby and your mom puts you in a crib because you're fussing and you're crying, so they just, and they throw that little mobile thing on. 
and, and, and you just, you lay there for hours just looking at that. And you, you stop crying. It's like a little music, and you're looking at that. And you're looking at that. And I, I really believe this. I do. I'm not a child psychologist, but I, I think you look at that for about every day for three hours. You start to think that the whole world just revolves around you. Right? And then you get out. You finally get out of the crib. You're old enough to walk. And then your parents are like paparazzi. They take a picture of you. Click, click, click. And you're like poof, poof. Poof, 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 poof. You're like every three seconds, they take a million pictures of you. Poof, 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 poof. Oh, man, I'm blind, half blind. Oh, oh, they're taking my picture. Oh, I'm a, oh, I must be important. I must be the most important. Look, I have a million pictures. Poof, 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 poof. And then we have this thing called social media. You know, and there's dangers with social media. Three things. One, it's a robber of time. Number two, you're exposed to things I'm not sure we should be exposed to. But number three, our social media sites become all about us. I've got news for you. The world does not revolve around you. The world should revolve around God. Because He's supreme. He created you. He loves you. He gifted you. He, he has provided for you. He, has, he gave His one and only Son to die on a cross for you. He alone should be the front and center of all that we do. And God was afraid. He was afraid that they would forget him. You read Deuteronomy chapter 8, you'll see that he was afraid they were going to forget him once they got in. And I I believe that today, that's what's happened to the United States of America. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. The secret to overcoming any obstacle you are facing today is revealed through one of the most extraordinary victories ever recorded in the Bible, the Battle of Jericho. Joshua and the Israelites followed God's unusual plan to walk around the heavily fortified walls of Jericho for seven days. The Lord promised that at the end of those seven days, He would cause the walls of that famed city to fall, allowing His people to take possession of the Promised Land. In his book, Walls Fall Down, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shows us how the seven spiritual principles in this story are available for all of us today. You will learn how the foundation behind Joshua's victory is the key to overcoming your own hurdles and unsolvable issues. When you choose to do things God's way, walls crumble, victory replaces defeat, and a blessed future unfolds. Pastor Dudley's book, Walls Fall Down, is available for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This invaluable resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. 
You can also order this book directly from our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Discover how your personal Jericho battle is no match for the power of an awesome God. Call us right now and receive your copy of Walls Fall Down by Pastor Dudley Rutherford today. Hello, friends. My name is Dusty Frizzell, and I want to invite you to our Thursday night service at Shepherd Church. That's right. We're adding a fourth service. Worship service starts at 7 p.m., and it's for all ages. We'll be following the same sermon series as the weekends, and you'll hear from myself, from some of my friends, and even from Pastor Dudley. So if you'll be gone on a weekend or you just want to open up some seats for others on the weekends, join us on Thursdays at 7 p.m. I hope to see you there. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at this same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.